Jeff, are we going to have college football this year? Man, I sure hope so. It's been a it's been a really dreary week. It's been a roller coaster. I, I will say, and you and I talked about this before we started the show. I feel better today than I did yesterday. Even probably better than I did this morning. Thinking about it, and, and not for any reason that I I've seen on the media, but I or you know on Twitter or anything like that. But I agree. Uh, if you would have asked me on like I don't know Sunday, I would have said absolutely not. But here's the thing. And I don't know if enough people are talking about this. And I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, I don't even know how to say the word epidemiologist. Is that what it is? I, I mean, I read it everywhere now. I didn't even know that word existed six months ago. Um, everything that we've heard is about hospitalizations. We've got to protect the healthcare system. Cases are going up. There's no question. Cases are going up in big states, Florida, California, Texas. But hospitals are still okay. And I've been spent some time looking at the stats in the last day or so. And while the cases are still going up, like the, the total aggregate amount of cases is still going up in these states and in Utah, the, I guess the daily new case rate has kind of plateaued. It's plateaued at a really high spot, but it's plateaued and hospitals are still okay. That tells me that unless the daily case rate continues to climb, the hospitals are going to be okay. Even if we're adding 10,000 cases a day in Texas for the next month, hospitals are still going to be okay. And I think as long as hospitals are going to be okay, football is going to be played. Maybe not in California, maybe not the Pac-12, because it's, you know, California is, they're their own animal over there. But Texas, if the hospitals are fine, they're playing football. Right. Yeah, but I think I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that every hospital is fine. I'm sure there's still, depending on the area, some are getting hit harder than others. But it's I think there's been a lot of scary things when you hear like, oh, the hospital is like at 85 percent capacity. It's like ICUs normally run at like 70, 80 percent capacity. You don't want an ICU, all the crap in an ICU. That's expensive. You don't want that running at five percent capacity because that means you're losing a lot of money. Right. Like right. it's. You know, similar to like when there was no toilet paper, everyone was buying a month worth of toilet paper at a time, took a while to catch back up because companies don't have the capacity to make four times the toilet paper than they're going to sell because that would be stupid to do that. Right. And so it's, and hospitals, they regularly go over hundred percent capacity and they have plans in place to take different things and can, you know, without crazy changes, get up to like 130%. You know, we're not trying to downplay like the seriousness of this because, but it's, you know, I think when you look at the age things and how much money there is in football, how much people care about football and college sports in general. And the fact that these are in the top 1% healthiest people on the planet, you know, then I think they're going to see teams, things try to do it. And, you know, the big 10, obviously they're doing conference only. I don't understand how the virus doesn't care about non-conference games. People are saying that it's because, you know, they can have their own testing protocols or whatever, but I don't see why you couldn't have like some testing consortium or whatever you want to call it, where you can say, okay, these are the testing standards we're going to have. We will play you if you commit to this and every team you play also needs to commit to this standard. And like, that is your network that you can choose from. You want to do that, get two conferences in there. Everyone needs a plus one. BYU will find 12 games. Everybody's happy. You know, army would do that. They have the money. Navy would do it, whatever, like, Liberty has more money than they know what to do with because they are a real estate enterprise masquerading as a school. <laughs> and they, 
will just spend money on whatever they can spend money on. Try. Do you, do you remember? Did you ever hear about when they tried to get into Conference USA? Yes. The Conference USA buy-in is two million dollars a school because it's a small conference. You know, whatever they offered twenty million dollars and still got turned down. Right. So oh, the Liberty, out on Liberty that is one. something else, man. And you know, I they make BYU seem more normal to the rest of the college football world, and for that, I am right. grateful. But yeah, you know, we need we need more liberties out there. So they, you know, it's given the demographics of the situation and kind of everything. I think you're going to see the SEC, the ACC try to push through and try to make something happen. And probably in the big 12 too, since most of the big 12 is in Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, if you start to see that come down, which the kind of the curve is looking similar to what New York was at the start of all this, where it, you know, it got to a peak, leveled off a little bit, and then just kind of dropped precipitously. And it's, you know, we've kind of seen the nationwide graphs of, oh, it's picking back up in the U S but really it's, places where it wasn't before, right? Like it's, you can't look at the U.S. as some big monolith of this is everything that's going on and this is the U.S. as a whole. It's been different places, different states doing different policies and it's, you know, it's bad in California, it's bad in Arizona, it's not as bad anymore in New York and New Jersey. It's different things. Everyone seems like is kind of having their run, but hopefully we're kind of past that. I mean, at least hopefully in Arizona and it's South Carolina, North Carolina is kind of on the list as well. Hopefully we're passing on both of those because I live right on the North Carolina, South Carolina border right now, and I'm moving to back to Arizona. So I want to stay clear of that. But, you know, it's, I think we will get something. It may start later. It may be 10 games starting the last week of September and we don't have bowl games. So it just rolls into like December 15th, maybe something like that. Um, or, you know, even longer rolling over Christmas, whatever that, but I think we will get something. I think so. And I think the fact that schools like Hawaii are already replacing games on their schedule. I mean, I I can't remember who it was. Was it Old Dominion? I can't remember who it was. They replaced the first game of their schedule with some FCS school. And it's not a big name. It's not going to, you know, blow the the doors off of Hawaii's football stadium. But there's football. And they reacted within like a week of that game being canceled to replace that game. And that's Hawaii. Like, that's not even big-time football. You know, that's, that's Hawaii Mountain West, and Hawaii's kind of the forgotten child of the Mountain West most of the time, and they're making moves to make sure football happens. The Big 12, Bob Bowlesby came out today, and I think he was really deliberate and, and very intentional in saying, hey, it's too early to be making these decisions. And I think, you know, we, we have a tendency to want to panic a little bit because, you know, practices were supposed to start today. Like, they could have started today for BYU, July 15th, well, today of this recording, right? Um, but they didn't, and it's like, well, then it's late. The season's late. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is a couple of weeks. It, it starts a couple of weeks late, but I like the approach that Ball, that Bullsby and, and, and Greg Sankey and a lot of these, these guys are taking of it's too early. It's too early, and I think for me, I don't look at the – uh, you know, I don't look at the athletes. I don't look at even to say that, you know, these are the, the healthy, the, the healthiest people in the country, these young college football athletes, they're the lowest risk. I don't even look at any of that stuff. I look purely at hospitalizations. And I think as long as there is medical care capacity, then football will be played. That's, that's my take. And that is just my take. That's not based off of any, any inside information at all. I do have I don't know if it's inside information, but I know that BYU is still practicing as if a schedule is going to be played and as if they're going to start football on time. 
I don't know if that means exactly, you know, September 3rd, like it did. Maybe it means September 10th, but they're still planning on playing early September. Um, they, they haven't started doing, practice. They're studying, they're doing player run practices still. You mean, cause they, right. Because yeah, still the, working the out was six weeks before the game started game. for your camp to start to make up for spring ball, but our first game and our Correct. second game and our third and our fourth game, we're all gone right now. Right. So not having full-on practices, but having player-run practices. Coaches are working on playbooks. They're installing playbooks. There's Zoom meetings, you know, with position groups. They're still preparing as if there's going to be a season and it's going to be playing. Uh, and even the Pac-12, right? News broke today. Our friends over at Ute Zone uh, talked about it on their site that Oregon, looks like Oregon's going to be Utah's first game on September 12th. Um, so the Pac-12 is doing whatever they're doing, you know, in terms of their Pac-12 only schedule. I think that's weird, but that means football is going to be played on September 12th. And that's the very left-leaning and progressive Pac-12 that is feeling confident enough that they're putting together this schedule and it's leaking to the press. So that tells me football is happening. It may not look the same everywhere, you know, Big Ten, Pac-12, they might do their own thing and everybody else kind of scrambles and it looks sort of the same. Maybe all the P5 conferences play conference only. I don't know, but I think there's going to be football and I feel pretty confident about that. I hope that the P5, at least they do some type of plus one. I mean, if, the, Ameri- if the American and the Mountain West do a plus one, then BYU could put together a halfway decent schedule because – you know, the, Boise would take BYU as their plus one. Utah State would take BYU as their plus one. San Diego State would probably keep that game on the schedule. Hawaii would like to get on that schedule as, you know, something. They would dump the Robert Morris game that they just rescheduled, if, you know. And so there's four games. You add Liberty. You try to get Army. Probably get stuck with UConn or New Mexico State, which aren't great. But, I mean, that's the same as one New Mexico State. There you go. We played North Alabama. There's our FCS game. And yeah. – there's so you know that gives us one two three four five six seven eight games and then you find out of the American like we still get the Houston game get a game with you know get a game with Tulsa again or there's a the American there's a lot of solid programs that would be good get good matchups and we could put together a respectable schedule. Um, I've hearing that things are positive from the direct point of view of the BYU athletic department and that ESPN is very good in our corner right now and that you know they. It's not just by conferences moving to a conference-only schedule. They are have a lot to rework with ESPN. ESPN lost a lot of content, a lot of valuable content, because people love like that USC-Alabama matchup week one in Jerry World. You know, the people love those big non-conference games, and those are really exciting in September, which is, you know, especially that first weekend of college football when everyone is so excited for it to be back on Labor Day weekend. Now getting into that, so ESPN just lost a lot of valuable content. BYU brings eyeballs that ESPN gets on a budget. So there's probably a lot of contract reworking right now. And there's a whole lot of financials that I got to get figured out of, um, I mean, was it like a, I think it's like force majeure, whatever like the act of God clause is in every contract. Like, right. does that come yeah. into play? How does that fit with this? All that stuff. I'm not a lawyer, especially with contract law, but they, um, and how this works, but ESPN has to find content. They are struggling for things and they want BYU and they can say, Hey, BYU, we can broker this and we can figure it out. Like these teams need stuff. And a lot of times it's especially if they ESPN has a specific contract where, you know, maybe it is end up being like a Bama. 
thing because if that USC Alabama game, that's a contracted neutral site game, that is the rights to that game are owned by ESPN. CBS is the primary rights holder for the SEC. So if that means, okay, we have Bama locked into a contract for ESPN, but Bama no longer has an opponent, okay, we want to get BYU in here because we can pay BYU less and we can make that, you know, we can give Bama more money than they otherwise would, BYU more money than they otherwise would, still save money on our end because we don't pay both Bama and USC, whatever, you can make all parties happy in that scenario. So I'm not saying that I've heard that, you know, we're going to play Bama. I don't think we are. But it's just there's just pointing out that there are, you know, out of multiple things, like out of all these other leagues that ESPN needs content and they want good games since they will try to help BYU because it doesn't, I mean, I think they're still on the hook for playing BYU and they'd rather have BYU play in a game than pay them to do nothing. I do not want BYU to play Alabama. I don't know. Like in my heart of hearts, that game would just get so brutally ugly. I was, I was driving down the street uh, Sunday with my wife and we saw this cat run across the road. And this cat, it just didn't make it. So there was this truck coming, you know, oncoming traffic or whatever. The cat, it avoided the car who was driving. We were headed north. It avoided the car that was directly in front of me. But the truck that was driving south just totally annihilated this cat. And by the time we drove by, it was like doing the dead wiggle thing. And there was blood everywhere. I mean, this, it really, it really was ugly. It was bad. And I just don't want to see... BYU turn into that dying cat when they play Alabama. I mean, I know BYU beat USC. They beat Tennessee. They beat Wisconsin, a top, what were they, top five, top six team a couple of years ago. I I don't want to see BYU play Alabama. I love our Cougars, Garrett. I love our Cougars. I do not want to see BYU play Alabama. I don't want to see them play the Alabama in 2020. Maybe like 2022, 2024, kind of build yeah. some things. Maybe whenever <laughs> Maybe Nick, Nick Saban, Saban retires. Right. Whenever his, you know, ironclad contract that he has signed with Satan that makes him him, whenever that's expired, sure, bring on Alabama. But until that day, I'm not ready. I'm not mentally prepared to see that game. Look, I, I watched BYU play LSU. They didn't get past the 50-yard line. That wasn't fun for me. It was fun to talk about BYU playing LSU. It was fun to think about BYU playing LSU, but BYU actually playing LSU, that wasn't fun. I don't want that. And, you know, I just want Nick Saban, please retire. Go take on Tommy Tuberville, who will be the incumbent senator from Alabama. I love it. <laughs> Which I, I've jokingly said for years that Tommy Tuberville – looks like a B-Ray actor who always plays a corrupt senator on a TV show. Like if you uh, like one of that shows like designated survivor or the West wing or some show like that, Tommy Tuberville looks like he should be a corrupt senator on that show. And now he's halfway there. Cause he just won the, the primary to become the sitting senator in Alabama. And it's going to be a wild ride. And I don't, in that, whatever Nick Saban does after like, can you imagine a world where it's like urban Meyer and Nick Saban run for Congress? That would be, It'd there be are people nuts. who, I mean, Kanye, we talked about, you and I talked about this off the air last week, but sadly Kanye's presidential bid has already come to an end, but let's start one for Nick Saban. Let's get him out of Tuscaloosa for the betterment of the college football world. Did you see the official Alabama Democrats Twitter account talking no. about Tommy Tuberville? 
Let me read this to you, my friend. This podcast, we're so far off of our agenda, but this is gold. So Tommy Tuberville wins the primary. The official, the blue checkmark verified Alabama Democrats at AL, AL Democrats. Uh, it's a series of tweets. Let me just read them. He lost his last Iron Bowl, 36 to nothing, collects millions of dollars in pension in pension money from hardworking Alabamians and bilked investors based on their trust in his investment advice. Tubbs, Doug's going to run through you like Fred Talley at an 11 a.m. Jefferson pilot game. Next tweet, Tommy Tuberville said he'd never leave Old Miss in a pine box. Days later, he left for Auburn, never told his players goodbye. At Auburn, he had a wandering eye every year. At Texas Tech, he ditched a recruit during dinner to leave for Cincinnati. Wonder who he's lying to now. Next tweet, Senator Jones got justice for four little girls murdered during church by the Klan. Tommy Tuberville thought a one-game suspension was enough when one of his players raped a little girl. Which one cares more about your daughter's future? And finally, you, scared of your own shadow, can an incumbent Democratic senator win a red state? Us, ready to storm hell with the super soaker, Tuberville couldn't score a touchdown for two weeks with four first-rounders on his offense, and he lost to Vanderbilt. I want to be a part of Alabama politics so bad. This is incredible. That he didn't score, a, or he lost to Vanderbilt, is a negative campaign ad for a U.S. senator. I freaking love it. This is what politics is in 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Like, if we are going to talk about needing a change in politics, this is much better. I'm more inspired by that than anything that Congress has done that I can remember in my entire lifetime. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is enough right there to make me vote Democrat in Alabama. I mean, he lost his last lost lost the last Iron Bowl, 36 to nothing. What more is there that I need as an Alabamian, Alabamian? I don't know what they are. As a person who resides in Alabama, if I know that you can't even score in an Iron Bowl, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to associate with you. I love it. I love it. Garrett, we're way off track, man. And, and I don't know if it's going to get any better. Moving into our Hellion of the Week, we really need some nominations from you guys. We've had some excellent nominations. This week, they were a little sparse, and that's okay. I, I get it. You know, there was a lot of things going on. It was a dark and dreary college football week. Um, so I went ahead and just chose our Hellion of the Week. And for me, it's Ford. Yes, the Ford Motor Company. Because of the Bronco, I have spent the last, I guess, 24 hours, 20, 27 hours now watching the same clips from the Ford release of the Bronco. Uh, I've probably watched, I don't know, a hundred times. I am in love with this car. I've loved the Ford Bronco, not as much the Bronco 2, you know, the OJ Simpson Bronco. I didn't love that as much, but the original Bronco I loved. I've always wanted one. I grew up with people who had some, uh, a couple of people who had one. So I, I'm very familiar with the Bronco. The old Blazers I really liked as well. My uncle has an old Blazer. I just love that true 4x4 SUV. And Ford knocked it out of the park. And I feel like this is an appropriate Hellion of the Week. My uncle, his name is Lloyd Hansen, 
He has since retired, but he used to be an executive at Ford and was a big BYU fan. Still is a big BYU fan. Uh, so I feel like there is a connection there that we can make between Ford and give him hell Brigham. And so I'm taking that liberty to talk about the Bronco. Please, SUV lovers and anybody who has seen this Bronco as an imp- and is, is impressed, I want to hear from you this week because I think it is the – I think Ford knocked the release out of the park. You know, I, I compare it to Tesla where they're trying to show off the Cybertruck and windows are breaking. Uh, the Ford release of the Bronco was perfect. This car looks incredible. I love everything about it. I can't afford it, but I went ahead and reserved one anyways. I, and really, I'm relying on, on you guys, listeners of Give Him Hell Brigham, to enable my Bronco dreams one day. We're going to have to sell a lot of T-shirts. But that's my goal. That is my goal, is to buy a Bronco. So please support Jeff's goal and, and help, us buy, help me buy a Bronco by buying our T-shirts. Do we need to start a GoFundMe for your Bronco? Uh, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it myself, but if you wanted to start a GoFundMe for me, I'm not opposed. The okay, if you want to Venmo or PayPal or whatever Jeff some money to Perfect. cover his Ford Bronco, please do that. It's you know, I mean, not all bankers are rich, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know a lot of rich bankers. I unfortunately am not one of them. Someday. You're pre-rich. I like to call it, think of myself as pre-rich. Someday okay. I will get there. You know, that, yeah. There's actually a saying in banking that for the first 10 years of your career, you're underpaid. And then the next 10 years of your banking career, you're paid pretty appropriately for what you deserve. And then the, the remaining, however many years you have left, you are just insanely overpaid. And I'm only on year eight, so I'm still in underpaid world. I'm just not there. You're and that's close, fine. Though. One day I'm going to be insanely overpaid. I could feel it. Someday you will get there. But yeah. I, yeah, the new Bronco, it's way better than the Chevy Blazer that looks nothing like the old Chevy Blazer. And I don't know what the heck Chevy's doing naming it that. But Ford, you're a hellion of the week for doing something right. The Ford Bronco is, has been a light in these dark times. It has been. The only thing getting auto, me through. To our automotive souls. Um, so Quarantine Kitchen. I made ice cream for like the first time in my life. I found an ice cream maker in our garage that I forgot I stole from my in-laws, uh, you know, because we found one at their house that was in an old box and completely dusty and hadn't been opened yet. And we got an ice cream recipe that was pretty simple. It was like a base, you know, it was, that was really easy to make. And so it was like take the base and then you can kind of mix in whatever flavor you want. If you want, you know, put some chocolate syrup in, if you want to make a chocolate or just put some vanilla or we end up mixing in like a half a cup of just cake mix to make like a cake batter ice cream. Ice cream. It was actually, it was really good. I've never made homemade ice cream before. It was cheaper than buying good ice cream at the store. It was about like the same as maybe buying store brand ice cream. That's half more ice than cream. I'll say that. <laughs> and it was you know, kind of, it was a fun adventure. So if you ice cream makers are like 15 bucks, I would try it again. I've got some ideas of different flavors and want to try, try things out, but uh, the ice cream maker is a good buy. I would I like, recommend it in these summer months. I like homemade ice cream. Uh, my sister makes raspberry ice cream. It's delicious. Ooh. I like homemade ice cream. The, we have popsicle. Do you remember as a kid when you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to get some like Kool-Aid and then freeze it to like make a popsicle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do that with my daughter. So she's 
what almost she just over a year and a half now so we make popsicles but we just take fruit and yogurt and like whipping cream and mix that together and freeze it so she thinks she's getting ice cream instead of the same yogurt that she eats every other day that's like (laughs) high in fat and protein it doesn't have a lot of sugar but in her world it's popsicle and she cannot be happier that's awesome uh, quarantine kitchen for me this week, skillet potatoes. This is going to get us a, a little bit on a rant. The, the, the recipe itself, super simple. I, I use baby red to potatoes, slice them really thin, put them in a cast iron skillet, uh, use whatever kind of fat you like, whether it's butter. I like to use bacon fat or if I have like brisket grease or something that I've left over. Um, slice these potatoes really thin, put whatever barbecue rub you want over it, and that's it. Just cook your potatoes it takes like 15 20 minutes till they start to get crispy uh it's really simple but it tastes like barbecue potatoes it's really good but it has to be done on a cast iron skillet it can't just be done on a regular pan i mean i guess i'm sure it could be done on a regular pan but it's not going to be as good cast iron really is the rant and it's not going to be much of a rant because i think that by and large everybody who is listening to the show already agrees but everybody needs more cast iron in your kitchen. I don't care if you already have a lot of cast iron in your kitchen. You need more cast iron in your kitchen. If you are not cooking exclusively on cast iron, you're cooking, uh, maybe just not living up to your cooking potential. How about that? Even the grates on my grills, I have taken out the stock grates and I have cast iron grates on my grills because everything needs to be cast iron. And cast iron is so cheap. Like, I'm trying to think huh, as I'm turning to look at my kitchen, I have one, two, three. So I have three skillets, a flat top, which is a reversible griddle, two Dutch ovens, and a bacon press. So I got like eight pieces of cast iron yeah. in, in my kitchen. And it's, yes, everybody needs cast iron. And it's so cheap. You know, it's, I mean, I do have some stainless steel. The thing is, Non-stick pans are overrated. You need one non-stick pan to make scrambled eggs in the morning so you can be lazy about it. But stainless steel and cast iron, everything, I primarily cook on cast iron. I use stainless steel for some things, um, you know, because I'm not going to boil something in a cast iron pot. I've done that, made soup like in a cast iron, Dutch, a big Dutch oven on the stove before. It just takes too long to heat up. Um, but it's, yeah, you need cast iron. If you ever are going to make a steak in your life, you need cast iron unless you use the blowtorch. If you have a cereal, you know, if you have a torch, then sometimes that's fun. I do have, I do use the torch occasionally, <laughs> but you know, the, yes, everybody needs more cast iron and you can go down and get a 10 inch skillet at Walmart for like $11 and it will last you forever until your fourth great grandchild accidentally drops it and breaks it because that's the you know, after because yep, they right. rust and then they tried drilling a hole in it and then they ran it over with a pickup and then the pickup didn't break it. So they got a bulldozer and ran it over with that. And then finally it cracked. Yeah. And you don't got to buy the fancy stuff. It doesn't have to be Lodge brand. It can be just the generic brand cast iron and it's going to be great. So yeah, you know. that's really the rant. The skillet potatoes were delicious, by the way. And it's super easy for anybody to make. And it does taste like backyard barbecue you could probably do the exact same thing and cook it out on a smoker just get a little smoke on those potatoes uh, i didn't i just did it over my stovetop uh, but, the, but the potatoes themselves are delicious they get a little crispy you got to preheat the cast iron it's not like i just throw it in and get lazy with it if you if you do that then the potatoes kind of fall apart it's kind of gross but if you let the potatoes sorry if you let the cast iron pan preheat 
then put your potatoes in. You get a really good crisp on those potatoes. Think of it like a sear on a steak. It's the same idea. So the potatoes are delicious, but really the cast iron is what matters. Which that kind of leads me to a segue into another topic. Please preheat your pans when you're cooking. I know you skipped that step in the recipe, but really just put the pan on the stove, turn the stove on, and then go through and cut everything that you need for the entire recipe. Get a couple bowls out, slice all your potatoes, slice all of your onions, slice everything you're going to need. Read steps one through eight, get all of it done while the pan is heating up. So you have a nice, evenly warm, heated pan that's hot on the stove to work with, and you will get a much better product in the end when you are finished cooking. Have you ever made, um, I just also thought of this, have you made like a s'mores dip? In, yeah, yeah, cast yeah. Iron? So uh-huh. there's another, if you have a smaller cast iron pan, this works great. Dump in a bag of chocolate chips, dump some mini marshmallows on top of it, throw it in the oven. Ours actually fits in the toaster oven because we have a mini cast iron pan that we use. It just all for comes this. back to the toaster oven. Yes. Or uh, I actually got the mini one just for frying stuff because there's only two adults and I wanted to use less oil. So I got like a six inch skillet with high walls um, so I could use half as much oil to fry something. But you throw it in there, you know, put it in the oven until the marshmallows get toasty and then you just have the chocolate underneath and you just break off graham crackers and it's like eating chips and salsa, but dessert with s'mores. It's wonderful. If it feels like we're a little bit more rambly today or you know we're, we're really not talking about sports yet we will we have a great show uh it's late man i mean it's uh it's later than it normally is it's 10 o'clock for me it's nearly midnight for garrett so this show we're gonna we're gonna ramble a little bit more than we normally do uh but we do have a great show we're gonna get into the sports now um as always support us on teespring before we get into this we'll put our link in the show notes uh, but support us, buy a shirt. We're trying to keep this podcast ad-free. We feel like the best way to generate any sort of revenue on this is by selling some, you know, merchandise of some sort. Uh, we've chosen T-shirts. We have face masks now, um, you know, things like that. It's on our Teespring site. The revenue helps supplement the, the, the revenue that we're missing out on by trying to not have ads on this show. Uh, great show today. Brett Ciencia from Pick 6 Previews joined us. We will play that interview a little bit later on. Uh, really great, great content from him. His, his book is awesome, his preseason book that he does every year. Uh, special promo code. We'll talk about it now real quick. He'll talk about it later. Uh, enter BYU as your coupon code at checkout. Get 30% off of your preseason uh, magazine for pick six previews it's one of the best he only previews the p5 teams he talks today when in the interview that we'll play he talks about where he considers byu in that p5 mix i think that will make most byu fans happy and he talks about his game grader formula and really where that places byu uh within the p5 landscape it's basically reinforcing what a lot of byu fans already believe great interview we'll play that a little bit later Uh, But to start, there was some news kind of on the administrative side of BYU athletics this week. A new Cougar Club director. Uh, This is Garrett. I mean, this is right up your alley in terms of the kind of the the administration, if you will, of sports and the athletic department. What are your thoughts on BYU's new athletic, excuse me, new Cougar Club director? I am very neutral, I would say, because it was, I think, Anyone who's ever dealt with the Cougar Club knows that it leaves a lot to be desired. It's not 
the most aggressive organization in terms of fundraising. It seems to be run similar to most other schools where the primary benefit is tickets, but BYU compared to other schools has a disproportionate number of fans that do not live within driving distance of the stadium. And so there's not a lot of benefit for those fans that live outside of, you know, the Wasatch Front. And you have, you know, a lot of, um, you know, it's really hard for fans really to see what the benefit is beyond, hey, I just want to support the program. And, you know, if you have a Cougar Club membership, you can get up to 12 tickets on a single membership. That's way too many compared to every other school. They need to, you know, I would think they would need to cut that down to drive some more revenue and do more things. But it's, I was hoping that we'd get some outside blood and get some new blood coming in, especially with the amount of business acumen that there is across, you know, across Utah County and Salt Lake County. Um, and even you guys up in Davis County and Clearfield, you know, there's, there's some brains up there as well. Um, but the, <laughs> we know some stuff. Yes. And so I was hoping to kind of get some new eyes and new blood in there. Uh, they ended up promoting uh, Greg Vehar, who's the, he was the number two kind of vice not vice president or assistant director, whatever the title was. He was the number two in command and he's had that position for 20 years and now is moving up. So I don't, I mean, obviously he will obviously do some things different just because everyone is different. But the, my initial feeling, my initial reaction is, okay, I live on the other side of the country. It's this person has been there for a long time. How much different is it going to be? You know, and it's, I think I would, I kind of post about this in our, um, in the thread on our VIP board where I would like to see some move away from just you get tickets or whatever to some type of point system where it's, you know, if you're this member, you get, you know, this many tickets, you get this many points. And it's like a ticket is two points. Like one football ticket is two points. A basketball ticket is one point, or, you know, you can get this exclusive, here's a little shop of exclusive Nike gear. That's so many points. So at least, I mean, I would be happy to give, it's like, okay, if I pay 500 bucks a year for the Cougar Club, I, if I lived in Utah, I would pay 500 bucks a year because I want better football tickets. That's really, I'm paying for the football tickets. You know, outside, if I'm living outside of that, maybe I give 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. I'd be a lot more likely to want to give 250 bucks if I knew that I was going to get a new Nike polo every year that would normally be 70 bucks, 75 bucks. But yes, it's, I, you know, but I'm getting that as a Cougar Club exclusive and make it a status symbol, you know, to where you show up at games and you see stuff like, oh man, that is the best design. Like, sure, I want that, but like, you can only get that if you're part of the club. You know, try to make it something, you know, to really bring in people from out of state because there are just too many, there's too many alumni, not even alumni that, you know, how many, there's tons of fans across the country. Like you, you didn't go to BYU, but you're the biggest BYU fan I know because you grew up around it and who want to support the program would be Cougar Club members, even though they aren't alumni. So there's what half a million living alumni, however many hundreds of thousands of fans who are not official alumni who would be willing to donate. But there's really just not a tie outside of, I want to get in line for football tickets. And so I want to see some creativity from that, regardless of who's in charge. Um, if I've talked about this with you, talked about this with other people as well, of kind of what kind of things we'd like to see. So if you hear this, I'll give you my number. You can call me. We can put something together or just like talk. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that can be done just to try to get people more involved. Um, what I would like to do, I mean, this is selfish desires a little bit, but hey, if you're a Cougar Club member, Greg Behar, give me a call. 
let's work it out so that there's some revenue share that every Cougar Club member gets a comped access to Cougar Sports Insider, brought to you by 24-7 Sports. The Cougar Club can pay us directly, and the Cougar Club, I guess the member themselves, they're just donating to the Cougar Club. Part of their Cougar Club membership is an, a VIP membership at Cougar Sports Insider. I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I hear you. Um, you know, I, I, the number two guy after 20 years gets promoted. Here's my counter. And, it, you know, I, 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 I say this a little bit in jest, but also uh, with a little bit of sincerity. And here's what I hope. Russell M. Nelson was an apostle for 34 years before he was the prophet. And now <laughs> scouts are dead. Church is two hours long. There's a lot of things that have changed in the just over two years since, since he has, you know, become the prophet. Now, at the risk of, of going on to a, you know, a ledge of sacrilege here, I don't think that we should judge Greg Behar too harshly because he, you know, was the incumbent guy because he was the guy who's been there for so long and he wasn't able to make any of the changes or do any of the things that we hope the Cougar Club will do in the future. I think that it's fair to be skeptical, but I do think he deserves the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, ultimately he had to report, he was the number two guy. He wasn't the number one guy, meaning that there was somebody else who got to call the shots at the end of the day. I do think that now that he gets to call the shots, who knows? He's been sitting on ideas for who knows how long. Maybe not. Maybe he runs everything and keeps it the status quo. But I think that he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Um, he might come in and make some pretty drastic changes. We'll have to see. But I think he deserves that chance before you know he gets judged too harshly or before BYU gets judged too harshly for you know taking the easy hire that was there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, agreed. It's, I don't want to say this is a horrible said it doesn't you know in super excite me like i'm very much sure we'll see what happens i'm very neutral sure. on this um it's you know because obviously the cougar club it could be a lot worse than it is but i think given the number of fans and support for the program that there's only about five thousand memberships that leaves a lot to be desired and it's i know at least when i first graduated the outreach to try to get new alumni in and kind of get them donating it was something that I think could be worked on. So I've, when I moved to South Carolina, I saw these stickers, these Clemson stickers everywhere. And I was so confused. And then, and then I'm watching a South Carolina game. You see it on the field too. It's I P T A Y. And I was like, what the heck? So IPTE instead of the Cougar club, it's not the tiger club, or whatever it's IPTE is the name of the booster organization at Clemson. And that is an acronym for I pay 10 a year because it started out way back in the day of, Okay, we have this boost club. It's like, dude, you can't afford 10 bucks a year, 83 cents a month. You know, you can't pony up 10 bucks to support this thing. Like cool. what kind of cheapskate are you? So they have more individual donors than any other booster club in the country because, you know, they get that low thing, at least like, you know, maybe you don't get anything for it, but Hey, you give 25 bucks a year to the school. Like you don't get anything in exchange for that level, but Hey, you are part of it. And it's like, if you are an alumni, the ex expectation is you will give at least the 50 bucks, no, 25, 50 bucks a year back to the athletic program, because that's what you do as a Clemson alumni. I would love for BYU to do that. You know, there's what, 33,000 students. Okay. If you know, get 20 bucks out of 10,000 of those, like that would be yeah. incredible. Yeah. Like it's, you know, so it's at least get their foot in the door and then start letting them level up or, you know, hopefully it's only 20 bucks. They won't even notice. 
that they have it on an auto withdrawal and they've been members for five years. Who cares? You got the money from them. It's true. And I think that's a fair proposal. I do think that, uh, I think BYU fans need to be, I think that uh, there's, there's improvements that need to happen on both sides. It's tough to give money. I think that BYU fans by nature, I'm not going to you know get into a religious because of tithing or whatever. I think that's not it, but, uh, BYU fans by nature are, are reluctant to donate and they have reasons to, for being reluctant and that's fine. Um, the Cougar Club needs to improve and remedy some of those reasons. Uh, but BYU fans need to show that, hey, look, we're going to support this team financially as well. Um, so Cougar Club, try to work harder because there's money to be had. Uh, things like, you know, it, it's just hard. You know, I, I remember as a kid watching moms come into Lavelle Edwards Stadium with full-fledged like plastic bowls of popcorn and candy bars stuck inside there in this popcorn bowl hidden underneath their coat coming into a night game because you know heaven forbid you pay the four dollars for a bowl of popcorn or whatever it is at the stadium itself i mean there's just too many things like that there's still too many you know, too many tan shirts at lavelle edwards stadium on game days that it makes it look like well look byu fans don't really care and so maybe that is it fans fault that the Cougar club doesn't try harder? No, but if you're the leader of the Cougar club, are you going to look at that and see, you know, and, and maybe be a little bit more reluctant to tr roll out a whole bunch of crazy programs possibly. Right. So I, I think that uh, both, I, I don't know. I, I think that both sides need to do a little bit better. Uh, there was some football news this week. We talked about Hinkley Ropati, Last week, uh, I believe before anybody else started talking about him, uh, that he was on BYU's radar, an offer was likely, and that if an offer came, we wouldn't have been surprised at all if he committed. Well, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. An offer came, and he committed, I believe it was Thursday of last week, so the day or two, maybe it was Friday, a couple of days after we talked about him on the podcast and on our VIP message board. Ropati got his official 24-7 sports sports rating today uh the network did a, a huge rating release uh that's one of the great things about 24 7 is their ratings are fluid and based on camps based on film based on performance you know during games based on feedback from our national evaluators from the st the individual site publishers like me uh, from high school coaches, like those ratings can constantly change. They go up, they go down. Sometimes they stay the same, but there's always an evaluation and a reevaluation up until signing day when that player signs. Other sites aren't like that. Other sites, they will, uh, they will generate a rating, and that rating tends to stay the same unless P5 offers start to roll in. And depending, you know, I don't know if it's the top 100 kids, the top 1,000 kids, but at these other networks, and I can say this because I've worked at these other networks, those, those star ratings are generated based off of algorithms that look at offers, and they go ahead and they say, okay, you got a BYU offer, that's a high two-star offer oh, wait, now you got a, an Oregon offer that came with it. Okay, well, your Oregon offer plus your BYU offer and nothing else, that makes you a low three-star. And that's how the rating system works. But at 24-7, it's based off of film. I had conversations with Greg Biggins about Hinkley Rapati this week, uh, looking at film and looking and talking about what we had heard about him, what we saw on film, what we liked, what we, what, you know, what Biggins saw at a camp or whatever. So the rating that came out for Hinkley Ropati was a 20, oh, excuse me, was an 84 
for the 24-7 sports rating. Now, that may not sound like a spectacular rating. It's a, it's a really solid three-star. Uh, the way that the 24-7 sports ratings work, if you're not familiar, anything from 80 to 89 is, is a three-star. So an 84 is a solid middle-of-the-pack three-star athlete. For BYU, a running back who's going to have three years of eligibility, so not a grad transfer, a running back with a rating of 84, this is the highest-ranked running back I believe since Jackson McChesney in 2017. So a higher rating than oh, guys, guys get like, knocked down a little bit. So if he was coming out of high school, he would be even, he'd probably be in that 86, 87 range. Yep. That's correct. So that's a higher rating than, you know, Luve Hilu who signed last year, Bruce Garrett who signed last year, Lopini Katoa who's done what Lopini Katoa has done a higher rating than Sione Finau. It's, this is a really good commit for BYU. Um, look, we talked about Ropati and kind of what he brings to the table from a player standpoint. He plays like a big back. Now, when I, I've heard this question already, I've called him a big back. He's drawn comparisons to Fui Vakapuna, and then people go and they pull up his profile, and he weighs like 210, 215 pounds. He'll probably play at about 220, 225 maybe when he gets to BYU. The guy's like 5'9". Like he's not a big dude. So 220, 5'9", that's a thick dude. Um, he, he plays big and I I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table at BYU because of Harvey Unga. There are a lot of comparisons about Harvey Unga in the, the, the way that they play the game. I don't know if he becomes Harvey Unga or not. Nobody does, but I think that there is a lot of reason to be optimistic about Ropati reaching his ceiling, wherever that ceiling is because of Harvey Unga being his position coach. So this is a big deal. An 84, one of the higher rated running backs that BYU has signed in the last five recruiting classes. It's a big deal. The, I'm excited. I love his game and his tape is awesome. Um, and we talked about it last week. It's just, he runs hard and that's, you know, it's, he, that's the best, that's my favorite kind of player is just somebody who you can tell that the effort is there on every single play and it jumps out at you. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so next thing that we uh, have on here um, was we did want to talk about, you put on that you wanted to talk about jerseys, at least royal on royal jerseys. Um, so what are, what did you, what did you mean by this? What if we go, <laughs> did we already now, fill off? <laughs> let me tell you what I meant by this. Dave Broberg, for those of you who don't know Dave Broberg, he is the creative design director for BYU Athletics. He tweeted today, uh, football 2020 season photo shoot. And he just posted a picture of, I believe this is Jackson McChesney. And it's a royal on royal jersey combination. White helmet, royal top, royal bottoms. This is a controversial jersey combination for BYU. This isn't a throw it back to... Uh, Lavelle, like they never wore Royal on Royal during Lavelle. This is very much a new twist on the old colors of BYU. BYU's worn it before. They wore it in the, I mean, they wore it in a few times. Most recently that I can remember was in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. But what's different with this rendition of Royal is the shade of Royal is just a touch darker, a little bit closer. The to actual the, Royal. The last time we've right. couple of times this has been a weird lighter color with like yep. a metallic face mask in that yep. Curtis Hill Utah State game and then the yep. Idaho Potato Bowl. But right. I pulled so up the picture is, and it does look better. They are much better. The, 
it's the old Royal. I mean, that's what it is. This is the Kevin Federick Royal, right? Like this is what this reminds me of. It's not quite Jim McMahon Royal. It's closer to that nineties Royal, but Royal on Royal. I like it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Royal on Royal. I don't think a lot of people are though. I think I might be in the minority. I think a lot of people like white on white, but I don't know. Garrett, what do you think of the Royal on Royal combo? I do like, actually, this is completely off tangent before I jump into this and it's fitting for the episode. One of my favorite like things in BYU history of knowledge is the fact that Kevin Federick went and played in the CFL and his dad bought a CFL team so he could be on the roster. One of my favorite sports things of all time. <laughs> that that but, is amazing. But this Royal, as I'm looking at this picture, and I, yeah, it looks like it is Jackson McChesney. Um, he, the darker Royal is so much better. Like that is the classic Royal. In I, I think the first time they did wear this, the Royal on Royal was the 2013 game against Utah. And they wore it at home. And it was just that weird lighter color. And then even some other seasons, there have been slightly lighter colors. Like in the potato bowl, it would seem like it was even lighter, though I don't know if that was just because it was against the turf. Just, you know, it's kind of optics. But this is the darker, it is the classic, you know, royal that we all love, except for some people love to hate it. I don't understand those people. I am not one of them. I am very much team royal. Contrarians, that's all they are. The worst kind of people. And, objectively yeah. royal is better everybody knows so we i i mean looking at this now i do like the look because it actually fits and it feels like byu the, the old the previous iterations of royal and royal that we've seen just didn't feel like it was byu it felt like it was something weird like i don't like know some weird extent. pro combat jersey that went out skew yeah i agree this yeah, looks so good like, I, I like it I, the the thing i don't know about the royal on royal is I don't know what shoes you wear. We're getting into weird stuff, but I, I, I like white shoes with it, but I feel like if you're wearing this at home, you've got to wear dark shoes. I don't know. So th- that's just me. But I like the Royal on Royal. I think it's a good look. So that, that, that's really all that I wanted to talk about with that. That's a great segue, not at all, into our interview with Brett Ciencia of Pick 6 Previews. Uh, really great stuff from Brett. So let's jump into that now. Okay, now we are joined by the legendary Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Um, if you aren't familiar with Pick 6 Previews, I don't know what you're doing wrong. You, you should be familiar with Pick 6 Previews. One of the, if not the most premier uh, preseason college football preview that's out there. It's new. You know, there's, there's others out there, Athlon, Phil Steele, they get the notoriety and maybe some of the fame. But when it comes to content and accuracy, there is not anybody better than Brett and better than this Pick 6 Preview uh, magazine. Brett, tell us a little bit about the book and, and how it came to be, how long you've been doing this. Uh, kind of introduce yourself to BYU fans. Yeah, Jeff and Garrett, I uh, appreciate you guys having me on and for all the praise on Twitter too. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I launched Pick 6 Previews back in 2012 as a college football preview site. Uh, those first seven seasons, my Power 5 and BCS predictions were graded most accurate in the country. Uh, that's not me saying it. That's Stassen.com has been grading publications that you see on newsstands and online. They've been grading them for decades. So most accurate those first seven seasons. Last year, 2019, I put together my first comprehensive book. You know, all Power 5 teams included, 1,500 words per team, 
uh, but kind of a deeper dive than you see on newsstands. I try and get more program history in there, coaching schemes, X's and O's, um, because, I, you know, a, a good balance of my analytics, but also making it very readable, too, for the fans. So after the 19 book, I was selected to become a Heisman Trophy voter. And then this year, uh, 2020, is my second annual book and, uh, and added BYU to the mix because, I mean, I couldn't leave out this fan base. Uh, you guys might as well be Power 5 by whatever, you know, label they try and throw. I mean, you, you have a national title. You're, uh, you know, at, at the top of most win, win lists over any kind of year intervals uh, since the 70s on. So, uh, and, and have the fan base more passionate than a lot of the Power 5 ones anyway. So, uh, it's been great connecting with a lot of the BYU media, a lot of the fans. I mean, I always saw you guys every day on Twitter against Utah, the Utah fan base. That's a, uh, what I call a 365-day rivalry. I see it every day on Twitter. But, but yeah, so I'm excited to, to have really d- done a deep dive into BYU, applied all my formulas and metrics, um, and excited to talk about it. So the, kind of the main thing that we'll see in the magazine is you have, like, your game grader. So you mentioned you've been doing the prediction since 2012. Did that start out with you just kind of – reading on the teams and going like a gut hunch or have you been iteratively working on these formulas with your grading system since 2012? Yeah. Back in in 2012, it wasn't as uh, you know, I I had some numbers involved. I was, I was building some formulas. A lot of it was gut. Um, But as I started going along, I tried to just mold my formulas to kind of the logic I was trying to put in there anyway, to get a number on things. So, I mean, I'm a numbers guy. Um, the game grader, what that is for, for those folks that are new, um, it's a formula where I, I look at, you know, I, I dig deeper than the box score because, you know, when you see a seven and five record, you know, that doesn't really tell the whole story of a team season. It could be an easy non-conference schedule. It could be a lot of close, barely wins, a lot of blowouts. So what I do is, you know, scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, per play metrics, um, efficiency, explosiveness, and all of that is, is packaged together. And then at the end, adjusted for opponent strength because you know beating um rice 50 0 uh 50 nothing is different than beating alabama 50 nothing so uh it's all scaled to pace of play and opponent strength and i know that sounds like a terrible word salad all that but uh basically it's my way to to dig deeper than the box score and get a, a real number on a team um and as it applies to byu uh you know it's a little bit different because for these power five conferences i have a consistent pool of teams that they're playing you know nine or ten eight or nine common opponents each season that they're playing and I can grade them against each other. But with BYU, it's kind of an outlier being an independent. Um, but I applied the same numbers through and they graded out 39th out of 66 in the power five. So uh, about middle of the pack, if they were to be applied into the power five ranks um, and that's sixth in the pack 12 last year. So right in the middle. Uh, and I think that that's fair. I think that's what BYU fans would expect. Um, when you break it down since they went independent after that uh, musical chairs of conference realignment in 2011, uh, they are 44 and 20 against non-AQ. So, you know, two thirds, uh, 17 and 27, about 40% against the power five. So I think that middle tier, that that middle of the pack rank is kind of accurate to what we see on on field. Would would you take a look, Brett, would you, would you say that? And I, I think most BYU fans first are thrilled uh, you know, to be included in, in your eyes with the P5. Uh, when, when you look at BYU, kind of middle of the pack, and you, you rattle off some of those records against you know, the, the, the segregated college football as a whole, what does it take for BYU to take the next step forward? In your mind, looking at all of these, pack, or all of these Power 5 teams, rather, what does BYU need to do to elevate their status within that group? 
Yeah, well, I think it's a couple things. I remember uh, right when BYU first went independent, uh, the schedules weren't as loaded with Power 5 opponents. That started to come in the later years. And even this year, I think it was uh, six on the schedule there. And uh, so I, I think scheduling is important. You want to be more – you want to be in these premier matchups against some top 25 opponents, some Power 5 teams, uh, to really just, just for narrative sake and perception's sake, uh, you know, throw your weight around and beat some of these Power 5 opponents more consistently. So uh, the scheduling certainly there. Um, I think try and get back to some of that, that defensive excellence that you saw under Bronco, Menden, Bronco Mendenhall. Um, you know, I, I applied back my, my defensive grades and all that uh, the past decade. Um, and really, I mean, Mendenhall's defenses, and you guys already know this, but they were super aggressive. They were attacking, making a ton of plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, and I just remember watching games. I mean, they don't miss tackles. They were aggressive. They were hard hitting. Um, Got to get back to that. The defense has slid a little bit. Uh, not just the statistically overall, but uh, in terms of style, it's a lot less aggressive. It's a, a bit safer. Uh, and that's good and bad, but it's just different. So I think getting back to a, you know, a top 25 consistent defense would be great for BYU. Um, and then taking that offensive step that I, that I expect this fall. We could talk more on that, but I expect an offensive step forward. But um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, continuing to throw your weight around in these power five games really own the national stage when you get that chance. Uh, you got you to knock out Utah. I mean, that, that's a, a monkey on the back right now. Um, you know, it's a, a trend you got to get rid of because that, A, that, that quiets down their fan base a bit, but then also just for, you know, regional, regional pride and recruiting perception that's big. You know, it's, it's painful for us to talk about that Utah series. We don't like to talk about that losing streak very much here. We avoid it as much <laughs> as possible. You're touching on a sore spot. <laughs> so you mentioned that there was a bit of a style change with the defense, and obviously compared to the Mendenhall defenses that really BYU fans have grown accustomed to, you know, because offensively we've struggled for some time, but we're very much in the fans' mind. We see ourselves as a defensive school. But last year there was this step back, and you mentioned the defensive change. So kind of what is your perception on Elisa Tuiaki as a defensive coordinator as well as Jeff Grimes, who um, as an offensive coordinator, really when, you know, both stylistically or how they perform in your game grader formula, because I think it's safe to say that most BYU fans are pretty iffy on both. And if both of them got replaced, the majority of fans would probably see it as a good thing or a step forward. So what do you see happening going forward with them? Yeah, I think 2020 is definitely a huge year for both of them. Um, you know, we'll start with the offense. Uh, Grimes has taken it. He, he, he improved it last year uh, by 18% in my percentile grades. Um, that doesn't sound like much, but that's significant. Um, and that was even going through a ton of injuries up front. Uh, even with all that, those line changes and different combos up front, it was still a pretty decent unit offensive line-wise. And everyone's back healthy this year. Uh, Brady Christensen's a star at left tackle. Uh, so I think it takes a step forward, at least up front. Uh, the receiver core, you know, you're never going to have a 1,000-yard receiver in this offense. It's, the ball is spread very, uh, you know, it's it spread thin across nine or ten different receivers. That's not a bad thing. It's fresh legs. Um, but it's just different. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the parts are back. Zach Wilson back, quarterback. He showed some, some, some ups and downs. Uh, that bowl game when he went perfect passing the ball, uh, you know, and then even uh, Romney last year took over in some parts. So, you know, there's a lot to like offensively. I think that the, the big step forward we thought would happen last year is going to then happen this fall. Uh, and then defensively, like I said, it's not so much that they're, that they're bad defenses. It's just that it's different uh, stylistically. It looks different. Um, instead of bringing those, you know, heavy blitz packages and, you know, getting all these sacks or, you know, Kyle Van Noy leading, leading the nation in sacks, that kind of thing. It's more safer. It's more bend, don't break. Uh, and there are some positives to that. I mean, they don't allow 
uh, the long play. They're very good against long yardage plays. Um, against certain offenses, too, that, that bend don't break really works. You saw it against USC, a, uh, you know, a, a pass-heavy air raid who really had success on everyone. I mean, they toasted Utah, too. Um, but what BYU was able to do was drop eight in the coverage, very safe but, but effective, and it really uh, you know, confused that freshman quarterback, Slovis, and forced him in, I think, four or five picks. So you know, there, there's some pros and cons. It's just different than what you're used to. Um, this year, huge, huge test for both sides of the ball. And I think both sides will improve though. Brett, I want to get in. You, you mentioned a few players, Zach Wilson, Brady Christensen. I want to, as you look at this BYU team, are there, are there a handful of players, I guess, who are the players that stand out to you that in order for BYU to be successful in 2020, these, you know, these three or four players have to stay healthy and take a step forward. Who would those players be? Yeah, well, I think right off the top, Matt Bushman. I mean, everyone talks about him, but it's rare for a guy, a tight end, to lead the team in, in, uh, in receiving yardage, uh, maybe outside of Iowa, but uh, it's rare. And then to do it three straight years is even more rare. So uh, I think you know, Bushman is huge to this offense, uh, both in the blocking game but also the pass game. So uh, look for him to be, again, the key piece. Uh, the backfield has a lot of, a lot of nice parts to it. Um, you know, you bring in Devontae Henry Cole, a guy, a former Utah guy who was stuck behind Zach Moss, uh, just adds some, you know, some power five depth. Um, and then even I think, uh, what, Finau and Katoa, I think it was Finau who, uh, who was picked for the Duke Walker watch list just today. So, you know, th- there's a lot of stars on offense that could be, that could be put, to, put to work here and, uh, uh, and, and took the ball. So a lot to like there. Uh, on defense, I think, uh, you know, the linebackers really um, – you know, there's plenty of them. They're moving around now in this uh, this four two five base scheme. Um, they were, you know, last couple of years in a three man front, shifting back to a four two five, moving those linebackers into new spots, some nickel packages, uh, bringing an extra guy in uh, on the line with his hand down on the ground. So it'll look different, um, but a lot of pieces to like too. But I, I, I would lean. It's definitely offense first uh, this year. That's good stuff. And one, one thing, just not about BYU, that really kind of stood out to me when I opened up the book this year for the first time. Uh, I love your, you, your uh, predictions for the four teams in the college football playoff. I didn't love it as much last year when we saw that, that red <laughs> helmet with the Utah logo in there. But I, I like it a lot this year. Uh, Oregon and Florida joining Ohio State and Clemson. I think a lot of people would have told you Ohio State and Clemson and I know that there's some hype, there's some uh, excitement about Oregon and Florida this year, but I, I think anybody betting against Bama is going to be a little bit, I mean, they got a little bit of explaining to do, right? So, so tell me what you see from Oregon and Florida that, uh, or maybe what you don't see from Alabama this year. Yeah, it's funny, Jeff. When I made the prediction last year, um, I, know, I got a lot of, let's call it feedback, quote unquote, on Twitter. Um, <laughs> But you know what? For what it's worth, it was a heck of a run. I mean, it was a, it was a roulette chip coming in with Utah. They were pre-ranked around 17th or 15th. Uh, so to put them fourth, you know, that was pretty bold. And uh, going into that last Friday of the season against uh, Utah in the, or against Oregon in the Pac-12 title, they were a win and in. If they won that game, they'd have been in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, but, but further, I was the only one in America to not have Alabama. Uh, all 20 preseason mags and publications had Bama last year. I was the only one against the green. Uh, just, you know, I'm not trying to put that out there on purpose, but just before I talk about these outlier picks, uh, it's not just, just throwing crap at the wall. So, yeah, so with, with Florida this year, I really like uh, them being in the third year of Dan Mullen's offense and Ty Grantham's defense. These are coordinators that have had success everywhere. Um, 
you know, Mullen specifically is kind of a quarterback whisperer. I mean, you saw him way back at Utah with Alex Smith. Uh, he did it down in Mississippi State with Dak Prescott. And then even in Gainesville 10 years ago, he was the coordinator on those Urban Meyer teams uh, when they were rotating in Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Um, long story short, he's got a, you know, probably the best quarterback in the conference this year, with Kyle Trask. The defense has been excellent the last 10, 20 years. It's always producing NFLers. That's not going to change. The reason I have Florida up there is because finally the offense and the quarterback position specifically are stabilized and looking like strengths for once. So uh, big on Florida. Anti-Alabama again this year. I mean, their defense kind of took a step back last year, and I know for them that's still top 15 caliber, but this is no longer the best unit in the country. They, uh, Saban had never allowed 45 points in a game to an SEC team coming in. He did it twice. He allowed it twice in November alone. Um, you know, so a little bit of a slide there. Their entire secondary is gone. Both edge rushers were top 50 picks gone. Uh, and plus, yeah, you lose Tua, who was a generational quarterback there. So that's why I'm leading Florida. Real quick on Oregon. Um, you guys see it on the West Coast. I mean, this is a, a great, strong defense. Um, they were top five last year. They returned 10 starters off that unit, off that defense. The only vacancy is at linebacker. But it's not just one, but two five-star prospects coming in to fill that one void. So, uh, again, a top, you know, a top five, top three defense in America. Now, to the outsider outside the West Coast, everyone kind of assumes Oregon is this, you know, this Chip Kelly gadget offense where it's speedy, but they're gonna, they don't have anything in the, in the trenches and they show up small in the big game. But Mario Cristobal has built this the opposite. He's built this from the trenches out. He's an offensive line guy himself. He's a guru there. Um, and you see it. I mean, they're physical. They, they out-physicaled Utah in the title game. And then a month later, out-physicaled Wisconsin, who, I mean, that's offensive line U. And they held them 100 yards below their rushing average. So um, long story short with Oregon, yeah, they, they have to replace four linemen, uh, four starting offensive linemen. The four guys coming in, though, are higher recruits than their predecessors. Uh, plus, they brought in Joe Moorhead, who I think is the coordinator hire of the season. And, uh, and, for, and the last note is that for the first time since the 1990s, a program not named USC is now the, the highest rated recruiter, five-year average in the Pac-12. So they, they, have the, they have the guys that do it, they have the coaches to do it, and the schedule is favorable. So I, I went with Oregon. That's great. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that Oregon had, you know, really – when you said when you mentioned them jumping, I didn't realize that the five-year average now was that high, and obviously USC has slipped the last few years. Um, one last question um, before we let you get out and on. I know you have a few other interviews scheduled. So going back to the game grader or just kind of your general process week to week, what does that look like either from – you know, a technical standpoint, are you, you know, scraping, manually downloading all of these things and putting it together yourself in a spreadsheet? Or do you have like a script that runs and then you kind of dive into that and say, you know, what matchup sticks out based on the numbers or kind of, so what does your weekly, week to week preparation look like in terms of updating all your numbers and then getting your content up? Just for those who might be curious of how, you know, what this looks like now that it's, you know, I don't know if it's a full-time job for you, but it's something that you've built into a large credible site. Yeah, it's an insane amount of time that goes into the book. Um, the book itself, the annual, uh, uh, that's you know a ton of film study, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, um, watching spring games. I didn't have that, that, uh, that tool this year, obviously. Um, but then, yeah, but then the advanced stats also, my numbers too. So I try and get a nice balance. But, yeah, with the numbers piece, uh, it's, it's scraping through box scores, pulling some key stats, um, and then putting them into my, my workbook and, and, and running my formulas. Uh, what I do week to week is I put together, um, you know, my game grader projects what the Vegas line should be in, in, in my, me and my formula's opinion. 
Um, and then I look at that opening line that comes out on Sunday. And if there's any major variances, say more than, you know, four or five points where, you know, game graders one way and Vegas is the other, uh, that, that's, a, that's a significant outlier. Uh, and in those games, it was 61% last year predicting. So uh, there's some success there. I'm going to look into putting out a weekly type newsletter type thing, um, you know, running the numbers each week for the fans. I hadn't released that last year, call it a test run, if you will, with that, but it, it certainly succeeded. So I'm excited to get more, you know, content outside of just the preseason book, which uh, is comprehensive enough. But once you get the, once the bullets start flying during the season, um, you know, you need some updated numbers and updated data to match what you're watching. So, um, yeah, a lot goes into it. I appreciate you guys taking a look and, and spreading it on Twitter. I'm excited to, to connect with BYU fans all across the country. Well, Brett, we appreciate you hopping on with us today. Uh, absolutely cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, tell, tell people where they can find it, how much it costs, all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, um, it's at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter. That's all spelled out. And then it's pick6previews.com. And on there, I have uh, a couple sample teams because, again, I know it's a newer product. Uh, a couple sample teams so you can see the level of detail, the, the, the set of stats and graphics you get per team. A couple testimonials in there, too. I just got one back from ESPN's uh, Chris Felica, the bear, as we know him. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, but then also, if you're interested, just type in BYU at checkout. And you get a nice discount. I want to get back to the fan base here. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, and, and make sure to connect on Twitter and uh, give me your feedback, uh, what you think. So yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate it, Brett. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. So that was our interview with Brett Siancia. So Jeff, what did you think about, you know, I was very impressed with him mostly just in terms of the preparation that he did for a lowly little podcast like us in terms of, you know, he was very, very knowledgeable about, BYU even you know talking about the scheme change on defense specifically and knowing multiple players names so even if he wasn't pulling that out of the top of his head he was very well researched and I think that shows how good of a publication his preview is yeah and I could tell that you were kind of nerding out with him like you wanted to know all that nerdy detail about how the game grader formula works I am um, I am <laughs> I I love the way that he's kind of just come out of nowhere. Like I, it's almost like the Ken Palm. And I think this is on his website, in fact, uh, but kind of like the Ken Palm of basketball, like Ken Pomeroy just does his own thing and he has for a million years. And now he's like universally accepted as the college basketball God. And I feel like Brett Ciancia has that same kind of potential because of the amount of work that he does. I love the respect that he gives BYU. I mean, you heard him, right? That BYU might as well be a power five school. This guy interacts with Power 5 fans everywhere. He talks to Power 5 coaches and athletic directors everywhere across the country. And he considers BYU right on par with the rest of them, right? With the rest of those P5 schools. No, BYU is not Ohio State. They're not Notre Dame. But BYU is every bit on par with Cal, you know, with Oregon State, with Indiana, you know, with that mid-tier of power five schools. And I think that's where BYU should expect to be. So it's cool for me to hear that level of respect from a national guy when, you know, too often uh, the national media kind of dismisses BYU and they dismiss independence as kind of a joke. Um, I, I like, I like what Brett has to say about BYU. I think he's fair. I think he's reasonable. And I think that really shows when he talks about the Cougars. Yes. And I, you know, he was very optimistic and it was, I felt reassuring to me that he's gone through, you know, and looked at data and, you know, he has his own formulas and they're proprietary or whatever, but he did point out that 
his game grader where there was a lead last year was 62, almost 62% against the spread, which is a very profitable formula. And I'm very excited to see if that holds up this year because I would start paying for picks from him because that appears to be a very valuable investment. But Mm -hmm. the, you know, when that he basically hit on terms of what things look like going forward, everything we talked about in our offensive defensive previews that there was a scheme change kind of head scratching, but whatever it was, they need to tighten things up there. The offense took a very large step last year forward last year and was much better than it was in 2018. It just didn't get into the end zone. And so they need to close that out, but they're like 95% of the way there. And this is going to be the year where they put it together, hopefully. And if they don't put it together this year, then maybe you got to go back to the drawing board. Uh, But he, you know, so it was kind of, good in revalidating our opinions by someone who, you know, is considered by many to he's one of the best, you know, national guys in terms of coverage, because, you know, he took a Twitter account and a little blog of, you know, basically what you and I are doing right now and parlayed that into, he's now a Heisman voter and with a national publication, um, you know, of putting out his preview. So it's, he, I, you know, he, I really enjoyed his interview, like I said, and he yeah. what he had to offer, and he was very prepared. And so give give Brett a follow if you don't already. Pick six previews, all spelled out, P-I-C-K-S-I-X, you know, previews. Um, and, he, and he loves to interact with fans. I mean, that's maybe the coolest part about him. On Twitter, he will interact with everybody. So please uh, show him what BYU fans are all about. Uh, support him, buy the book. It's awesome. Use promo code BYU at checkout, save 30%. And if nothing else, give him a follow on Twitter, retweet the heck out of his preview and talk to him. He will talk about BYU football with you and give you a national perspective. He's a lot of fun to follow. Gary, this has been a a heck of a show. We've been all over the place. I want to wrap things up. We forgot to do this last week. Uh, We do have some new five-star reviews that we need to read. Uh, So we're going to read a few of these. We've got three that I've kind of picked out today. Uh, one of them came in a couple of weeks ago from BYU football fan G Money. Could this be Brandon Gurney? This doesn't feel like Brandon Gurney. I know Gurney well enough to know that this doesn't sound like Brandon Gurney, but Brandon Gurney is also a professional journalist. Maybe he could sound however he wants to sound. I don't know. The review, it says, worth the binge to start from the beginning. I love the content, although I'm not jumping on the cheese pizza bandwagon with Jeff anytime soon. He's wrong. If Garrett sets up a donation link for a better microphone, I'm pledging $30. I prefer a mic over a shirt. I don't know if that's a criticism of your mic, but I will take that $30 and we can pledge it to the Jeff needs a Ford Bronco fund. And I'd I'd feel okay about that. All donations are what's the fungible. So it may get rerouted into kind of like a cougar club, right? Like we're not going to send you a receipt of what we did with it. Yes. Uh, the, next one, Hoosier Cougar. The title is Cheese Pizza is Better Than No Cheese Pizza. You guys have got to get on board. I had another full cheese pizza yesterday, and it wasn't my favorite, but it was still immaculate. I mean, that's where I'm at. Slice? Is that? Um, I did have Lucky Slice this week, but yesterday was from another local spot called Geo's Pizza. I think there's only one here in Clearfield, Utah. Uh, and it's good, but it wasn't great. And then I went back to Lucky Slice, you know, later on in the week. So uh, 
all of these pizza, I, I appreciate everybody trying to convince me that I'm wrong about this cheese pizza thing, but I'm not. I'm right, and I will go to my grave. Okay, cheese pizza is better than no cheese pizza. There's a place for cheese pizza. I'll forego the Home Alone joke. I could go for a margarita pizza when tomatoes are really ripe. Margarita pizza is delicious. Oh, and the pod, it's a lot of fun. Jeff and Garrett have a comfortable rapport and make listening to them feel like you're having a conversation together. They are knowledgeable and take the time to look at multiple sides of an issue as well as data behind decisions, ranking, perceptions, and ideas. It's a great option for Cougar fans, and I'm anxious to see how the pod adapts when we're in the season and giving them hell. And the last one from our friend Brett Barr, title is Decent Little Show. I'd like to describe the podcast this way, he says. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point your rambling, incoherent response were you in your sorry, at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Who doesn't love a good Billy Madison ref reference? But they said they wanted positive reviews, so here it goes. Even with the lack of sportsing in the world right now, G-Money and Yeffrey still managed to make pods great again. MPGA, a nice mixture of sports, barbecue, and other food stuff, sources, and various other semi-interesting topics. To sum up the first half of 2020, wildfires, Kobe, earthquakes, Rona, murder hornets, riots, racial tension, unemployment, stock market, sports canceled, everything canceled. This podcast seems to be the only bright spot in my life this year. Props, my dudes. Thank you to Brett Barlow. And he's another Davis County guy. We need more Davis County guys to represent so that Garrett stops thinking Davis County is Canada. It's not. It's really closer to Salt Lake than Provo is. But for whatever reason, nobody can wrap their head around that concept. But that's that's Davis County. Are you in Davis County? Are you in what's about Clearfield? Is it Clearfield County or Ogden County? <laughs> no, Clearfield's a city, my friend. Uh, well, and Weber, Weber County. County. Ogden County is mm -hmm. also not a thing. Weber County. Um, I work in Weber County. I live in Davis County. Okay. So uh, really, uh, when people live in Provo, I live closer to Salt Lake than everybody who lives in Provo. So you say that as if that's a good thing. No. I, I mean. I just am saying that nobody thinks that Salt Lake is Canada, but for whatever reason, as soon as you go around the oil refineries, it's like Cache yes. Valley. Like everybody thinks it's just a hundred miles away. It is. It's it a is. Fact. Okay. I used to, well, I used to. Work I can't in argue with this. Hey, it's up there. Okay. Well, I mean, you're right. You're right. This is kind of actually. Like one of those I had to apply. Things. I had to apply for a visa when I worked in that. <laughs> okay. okay. It's not that far, and it's great, and we have Lucky Slice. And once everybody has Lucky Slice, you will all agree with me. Cheese pizza is the way to go. Uh, this has been a good show. Please continue to support, subscribe, uh, and share the show in any way that you can. Um, we're growing, and we're having a lot of fun doing this. Uh, your reviews help. Five stars only, obviously. We don't want any of that four-star garbage and certainly don't want to hear any of the negative feedback. Although we may have merited some negative feedback, I don't want to hear it. Five stars only. I mean, let's have some respect. And that's it. That's all I got, Garrett. Um, let's give him hell this week. Give him hell, man.